Well, good morning to uh, you all. It's always a joy and a pleasure to be here and to preach uh, the Word of God. Uh, today we're in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. And perhaps uh, this passage of Scripture is one of the most radical and controversial per passages of all of Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. And I'll read it for us here. My message today is real hope for lasting change. It says, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what, and that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words. These words that are alive and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. May it pierce deep within us today, make a change in our lives in radical ways, in ways we never expected before. And we pray that we be open to this, Lord, that we be surrendered to what you'd have to speak into our lives today. And we pray for changes to take place, real changes. Because you said you don't want us to be just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. So we pray our eyes would be open, our ears would be open, and our hearts would be open to receive the things you want us to know. And we pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Now the uh, most important part of that text is the first phrase of verse 11. And that is what some of you were. That is what some of you were. In those eight words, it kind of sums up the whole Christian faith. Everything we say and everything we believe is built upon this truth. You don't, you don't have to stay the way you are. Amen? You don't have to stay the way you are. That's the message here. Your life can be radically changed by God because conversion is a miracle. It's a miracle that happens when God enters your life and you surrender to his finished work on the cross and his plan for your life. Until then, until then, some of you are just religious. I mean, you do a lot of good things. Maybe you help out in rescue missions. Maybe you give to some of the people on the street who are asking for some money. You donate your time and all your efforts to various causes and all of that. Folks, let me just tell you, that's religion, that's not conversion. That's religion, that's not conversion. Anybody can do that. 
But you want to be converted, not just religious. You don't want to be just religious. So we have a lot of people that are walking around who are religious. They're very good individuals. They obey all of the rules of the church, but you're not converted. And there's very little significant change that takes place in your life. Now, you know, it's a kind of a funny thing that people can change. Even if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you can change. So what does that look like? When I say you can change, but then there's significant change, what's the difference? Well, it's simple. If you wanted to lose weight, you can take up smoking. That will help you lose some weight, right? A lot of people smoke. It curbs their appetite and they lose weight. Is that a good way to lose weight? No, it is not. Well, I asked the person one time, came into my office and said, I have a pain in my butt. I said, that's interesting. What are you doing about it? Well, I'm taking ibuprofen. Well, the ibuprofen is helping you. Can I ask you a question? She said, sure. I said, why don't you take the tack out of your butt? So there was change taking the ibuprofen, but is that significant change? No. We do this every day, though. There's all kinds of changes that take place, but they're not significant changes. You see, religion is one thing, but conversion is something else entirely. Conversion. Hmm. That means that long-held prejudices can be overcome. Lifetime habits can be broken and deeply ingrained patterns of sin can be erased over time. Conversion means this. What you were does not determine who you are. You all understand that? What you were does not determine who you are today. You can be changed. You can be different. Your life can move an entirely different direction. This is the guts of our Christian faith. And so today, today, we're going to learn that conversion is the miracle by which God changes the tenses of our lives. He changes the tenses of our lives. That's what you were. This is who you are. That is what you were. This is who you are. Isn't that great news? Jesus Christ can do that, and we believe that only Jesus has the life-changing power to totally transform your life from the inside out. And that's what happened. The first century believers who were in Corinth and it can happen to you today as you read these words that I've shared with you today. There's great hope in these words. Now, there's seven new things that can happen to you. You know, many of you know what a concordance is. A concordance is, if you look up a word in the concordance, it shows you where the word is throughout the whole Bible. And so today, because we were talking about newness of life, I looked up the word new. You want to be new. 
You want to be new. You want to change. You want something great to happen to you. Okay. Well, this is what I found. Now, we can go throughout the whole Bible and stay here all day, but we don't have the time to do that. So let me just share several things with you about what it means to be new in Christ. On Psalm 40, verse 3, it says, He gives us a new song. We go from old man river to nothing but the, but the blood of Jesus. Isn't that good? He gives us a new name. We go from wretched child to kingdom child. He gives us a new heart in Ezekiel 36, 26. He takes out a heart of stone and he puts in a heart of flesh so we can be tender and understanding and balanced. He gives us a new life in Romans chapter 6, verse 4. He takes us from darkness to light. He dispels the darkness so we can see where we're going. He gives us a new beginning. In 2 Corinthians 5.17 You go from trash to precious metals. From trash to precious metals. He gives us a new self in Ephesians 4.24 You go from Joe the Slob to Joe the Olympian. Big difference in your life. He gives us a new birth in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. You go from sin. You go from a sinner to abundant life and to eternal life as well. So God, he specializes in some things. God specializes in making all things new. He loves to take broken he loves to take discarded things and make them new and make them shiny. He wants to take our mess. You heard me say this over and over again. He wants to take our mess and make a message out of it. Will you let him? You let him take your mess and make a message out of it. I love these verses. I love these verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 to 31. They're fantastic. Listen to these verses. So opposite of what we would be thinking of. But listen to this. But God has chosen, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world. And the despise, God has chosen the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. He makes all things new, folks. So he takes the broken and discarded things and he makes them new and he makes them shiny. If God is willing to change us like this, 
We might ask the question, well, why, why in the world don't we allow him to do this? God wants to take our lives and he wants to reshape them. He wants to remold them. He wants to make them new. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Why don't we let God do that? Well, I'll tell you, in 28 years of counseling, it's because of fear. Fear. Because of fear. We fear. We fear change. We don't like change. We fear change because we become comfortable. If not, we become entirely happy just the way we are. Though we're sinking and the ship is sinking, we're happy because we are in familiar territory. It's killing us, but we're happy. Hmm. We become comfortable and we fear failure. Because you know in the past I've tried this over and over again and it just didn't work. So if I do this again, I'm going to fail again. And I'm going to fail again. And I'm going to fail again. So I have fear of failure. It's not going to work for me. So over and over again I hear these words in counseling. I've tried. I've tried this. And I've tried that. It, it doesn't work, Pastor Jim. I'm too far gone. I've done too many bad things. I'm beyond repair. I'm beyond hope. This can't happen for me. And so I say, calm down. Calm down. You think you've tried everything. You think you've done everything. Well, you haven't. You've done a lot of good things, folks. But you haven't been doing the best things. And sometimes, as you heard me say over and over again, sometimes the good becomes the enemy of the best. Yeah, you've done a lot of good things, but you haven't done the best things. Well, what's the best things? Let me tell you what the best things are through this story. This is an amazing story. If you don't get it from this story, you never will. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the name Nikki Cruz. Anybody familiar with Nikki Cruz? Yeah, some of you are. And Nikki Cruz was a notorious gang member in New York City. New York City. He was one of the most feared gang leaders of all of New York City. Here's what he said. He said, you can get high on sex. You can get high on alcohol. You can get high on drugs. But I, I was high on hate. And I was high on violence. So Nikki Cruz was not just the leader of the renowned Mau Mau gang, the toughest gang in New York City. Nikki Cruz was an animal. He was a cold-blooded killer and animal, Nikki Cruz. Nikki Cruz said that New York was like a jungle. And in the law of the jungle, you behave like an animal. Animals don't know the difference between right and wrong. An animal has to kill 
another animal for survival. So he says, pain and violence weren't anything new to Nicky. He grew up in Puerto Rico where his parents, his parents now, they brutally abused him. And Nicky's father used to throw him in a room with pigeons and rats and all kinds of rodents. He put him there naked and Nicky would scream. And Nicky says, well, the pigeons and the birds and the rodents, they got scared and they'd scratch me and they would bite me there. And then he talks about his mother. He said, she hit me so much. She knocked me unconscious so many times over and over again. And honestly, I could grab a knife and I could stick it in me and I wouldn't feel any of the pain. It was so bad. It wasn't just because they were cruel. My parents were possessed by the devil. I know that I was planted into the womb of a witch, says Nikki. Seances, satanic worship, animal sacrifices, they were all normal part of my parents' lives. I saw my mother possessed by the devil many times, Nikki says. My mother and my father did anything, and they did everything under the sun while under the satanic influences of the devil. And then he goes on to say all of these animal sacrifices and all the blood that was shed and the smell was so repulsive and the spirit used to manifest those demons was scary and it was frightening. So when he hit the streets of New York, Nicky was a hardened man, void of love. He was full of hate. Nicky said, I wanted to do to others what my mother or my father did to me. I used to feel good when I hurt people. However, Nikki would say, Nikki would say privately, privately when I was alone, loneliness became like a seductive woman that crawled inside my chest and would eat me up alive. I was there twisting and fighting. He said, I felt so lost. I didn't care whether I lived or whether I died. There was only one person that saw this desperate condition of Nikki Cruz. That person was a pastor by the name of David Wilkinson. He was an evangelical minister. He was the author of many books. He founded the Times Square Church in New York City. He risked his life to tell Nikki Cruz that there was hope in Jesus Christ. Nikki Cruz said that when he heard, when he heard the pastor tell him that God has the power to change your life, I started to curse him with everything that I had, Nikki said. I spit in his face and I hit him over and over again. I don't believe in what you say. Get out of here, he said. Get out of here before I cut you up into pieces and I kill you. Pastor Wilkinson replied, you could cut me up 
into a thousand pieces and lay them in the street and every piece will love you, Nikki. Every piece will love you, Nikki. And Nikki says, well, the message hit me like a bolt of lightning. For two weeks, I could not sleep thinking about this man's love for me and how he risked his life to tell me about the Lord Jesus Christ. So Nikki now, he showed up at one of Wilkinson's rallies and there he gave his life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It was the crucifixion, Jesus' death on the cross that grabbed Nikki. He said, I was choked up with pain. My eyes, he said, were burning and tears began to come down and more tears and I was fighting and then I, I, I surrendered, he says. Nikki said, I let Jesus hug me. I let my head rest on his chest and I said, I'm sorry, forgive me. And for the first time, for the first time in my life, I told somebody, I love you. The love and spirit of Jesus radically changed his life. And he said, when I opened my eyes after receiving Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I had a new heart. I was born again. I was a child of the King. I was a child of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to this. Now after this, Nikki left the gang scene. He enrolled in Bible college. He met his wife, Gloria. The two married. They moved back to New York City where they ran Teen Challenge, which was a program to help troubled teens. Since then, Nikki has raised four girls. He's traveled all over the world as an evangelist and the head of Nikki Cruz Ministries. And Nikki Cruz now says, I am now the happiest human being in the world because I've reached thousands and maybe millions of people that have come to Jesus Christ through my message. But the greatest success of my life was when I brought my mother to Jesus and I brought my father to Jesus and I brought my brother to Jesus. God took a cold-blooded animal like Nikki Cruz and he said he transformed me into a sensitive man of God with a heart that yearns to share the message of Jesus Christ to the world. God changed the tenses of Nikki's life. God said to Nikki, Nikki, this is what you were, Nikki. This is what you are now. This is what you were, Nikki. This is what you are now. God changed the tenses of his life. What are the steps needed to turn your life around 
like Nikki Cruz? What's the steps that need to take place? I got three of them. The first one is this. It's in verse 9. We must accept God's judgment. Do you know there's a judgment over you? And verse 9 begins with a blanket statement regarding who God, who goes to heaven rather. It says, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, if we don't know this, we should know this. Here's what we ought to know, that God and sin are fundamentally incompatible. Because it says in Romans 3.23, it says this, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Do you understand one bad apple ruins the whole barrel? If there's one sinner that enters heaven, it destroys it all. When you go into heaven, you need to be perfect. The only way you can be perfect is through Jesus Christ. So you need to know there's a judgment hanging over you, that you are a sinner in spite of all the good works that you do, in spite of all the good things that you do, that basically inside you have a sin nature, and we must accept God's judgment based on verse 9. The first step to being healed is accepting God's righteous judgment on your sin. God says you're a sinner. God says you need to repent. God says you need to turn your life around. You need to give it to me. I need to be not only your savior, will you have your little fire insurance in heaven, but I need to be your Lord. Will you bow your knee to me as well? As long as you argue with God, you cannot be saved and you'll not be changed. You need to confess your sins. You need to repent, accept Jesus as your Lord and savior. You must accept God's judgment upon you and Jesus has removed that sin from you you need to accept that first secondly our second point is this we need to believe in God's power you know sometimes it's easier to receive the first one than the second one. Oh yes we can all agree that we're sinners right but then we turn around and we say but God can change me God can change my life from the life that I came from to what I am right now God can do that I can understand about the sin thing, but I can't understand that God has the power to change my life. That's why the uh, first verse, verse 11, is so crucial. Paul reminds the Corinthians that God had radically changed their tenses. That's what you were. This is what you are. You see, the tenses have changed, folks. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, it says this. Such were some of you. You get that? Such were some of you. But you have been washed. You have been sanctified. You have been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and in the Spirit of our God. Here's what it's saying. You once were a drunkard, but no more. You once were an idolater, but no more. You once were covetous, but no more. 
You once were greedy, but no more. You once were homosexual, but no more. You once were a lesbian, but no more. You once were a swindler, but no more. Right here, right here, right here is truth. Truth that is both liberating and sobering at the same time. What is it? Here's what it is. Listen closely, folks. Liberating but sobering. Not everyone will be changed, but everyone could be changed. You can be changed. You can be changed. You can be changed. But not everybody will be changed, but you could be changed. That's the message. Liberating but sobering. Verse 11 says, Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and in the spirit of our God. Now, some, in spite of all of that, you're going to choose still to remain in your sins. Others are going to rebel. You'll rebel against the idea of change. You want me to change? I've been doing this all of my life. This is what I'm familiar with. This is what I can identify with. You want me to change? I rebel against change. I'm familiar with the old life, not the new life. And others simply will not believe that they can change. They'll stay the way that they are because this is the way their family lived. And it says in Exodus, the sins of one generation are passed down to the second and third generations. And so the cycle just continues and continues and continues until somebody breaks it. Well, Jesus came to break the cycle. When are we going to learn that? The reason why people don't change are as varied as humanity itself. But it is true. Not everyone will come to Jesus for salvation. Not everyone will be converted, but you could be converted. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who will enter through it. But you need to know that God can change the tenses of your life. This is what you were. This is what you are now. God can change the tenses of your life. A new life can be yours. If you call upon Jesus Christ for salvation, and if you trust in him to live your life. Lastly, a new life comes about when we claim God's 
promise. Now, Paul now clearly explains how the great change takes place. Verse 11 at the end. He said, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. But then he says this. This is how it takes place now. Listen closely. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the Spirit of our God. Yes. Three things here. You were washed. See, it said you were washed. I want you to picture yourself now at the foot of the cross. I want you to picture yourself with Jesus on that cross and the blood is coming down. But that blood is now pouring all over you. And as the blood pours all over you, all your sins are being cleansed. Your past sins, your present sins, your future sins, they're all gone because you've been washed, you've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's a legal standing you have before God. You are now cleansed. You've been sanctified. Sanctified means you've been made holy. You've been set apart. You're walking to the beat of a different drum now. You've been called out of the world and into God's family. We are now set apart for God's use. Once we live for ourselves. Now we live to serve God. Once we followed the world's rules. But now we follow the Lord's leading. And once we played on the world's team, but now we play on the Lord's team. Once we wore the uniform of the world, but now we wear God's uniform. And once we were unholy, but now because of Christ, we've been made holy because of what he's done on the cross. This is the great difference that Jesus makes in our lives. How does that work, Pastor Jim? What does it look like to go from death to life to legal freedom? How does it look? What is the gift? Show me. Okay. You're a murderer. You're a thief. You've done a lot of bad things. You're in jail. And today is your execution. And so they take you and they bring you into this room and they sit you down in the electric chair. You're going to die today. They strap you in. The warden goes over to the wall to pull the lever to kill you for your crime just then. Jesus walks into the room and he walks over to you. And he says, unstrap him, take my hand. And he takes the man out and he brings him across the room and he says, stand there. And then Jesus goes and he sits in the electric chair. And he says to them, strap me in. They strap him in. He looks over to the warden. And he says, pull the lever. And the warden does. And Jesus dies. They look over to this man who's standing there, who is a murderer, who is a thief, who is a liar, who committed all kinds of bad crimes. And the warden says to him, you're free to go. 
Your debt has been paid. And the man walks out of prison, a free man. You understand what that's about? You understand the substitutionary life, the death that Jesus died for us, and now you're set free and you can go and you can live a life of freedom? That's the example here. That's what this is talking about. So once you were dirty, but now you are clean. And once you weren't holy, but now you're holy. Once you were guilty, but now you're justified. Justified means just as if you've never sinned. See how that works? How does this great miracle happen? The end of verse 11 gives us the answer. It says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. It is the mighty name of Jesus that does the work. It's the Spirit of God that applies the truth of Jesus to the, to the human heart. Here, here is the promise of God for every person, every person who feels like there is no hope. Here, here's your hope. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, it says, If you confess with your lips the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And then it goes on for those who are still skeptical. In verse 13, it says, Everybody, anybody who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Doesn't discriminate. Not just Billy Graham, not just great kind of preachers. Everybody who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. Let's wrap this message up with these three final statements about real change. First of all, real change is possible. Do you want it? Because you've been living the way you've been living for so long, you don't know what normal is anymore. To you, dysfunction is normal. So change is available, but do you want it? You're coming into new territory now. You're only familiar with the old ways. You want to live a normal life? Or do you want to stay in your life of insanity? Doing the same things over and over again and expecting different results is insanity. Real change is possible. Do you want it? Number one. Real change is available. Is available. Will you reach out? and take it. Well, I don't know. Because I think it's supposed to be more complicated than a free gift. Will you take it? It's available for you, but free? Free? Just accepting Jesus? And, and my life can turn around? I think I need to do a little bit more than that. So it's available to you, but you're looking for something deeper. You're looking for some good works. You're looking for something else rather than a free gift. Real change is available. Will you reach out and take it? Lastly, real change is radical. Ah, I don't know if you're ready for this. 
It's radical. You're ready for the persecution that comes your way when you say, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. And no man gets to the Father but through Him. What did you just say? That's pretty dogmatic. That's pretty stringent. That's pretty closed-minded. Are you ready for the persecution? Are you ready to walk through the valley of the shadow of death for Jesus? Are you ready for some of you to give your lives for Jesus? This is not a cakewalk. Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Are you ready for this radical change? It's radical. So some people want to step back. They don't want to get in the melee. They don't want to get in the fight, the struggle, the persecution. So they step back and they stay with the crowd. They don't want to identify with Jesus Christ. Or if they do, they do it in a religious way. Friends, if you always do what you've always did, you'll always get what you always got. You always do what you always did, you'll always get what you always got. Is that the way you want to live your life? It's not the way I live my life. I live my life in a radical way. I go out and I challenge the world. Don't have them challenge me. I have the light. They're in the darkness. Why do I run? Why do you run? We've got the truth. We don't run from people. We're able to dispel the darkness. So let's do something different today. Let's bow to Jesus. Let's live for Him. Not for the world. Not for the flesh. Not for the devil. But for the one who said, hey, come to me and you're washed. And you're sanctified. And you're justified. And you can live in a new tense. That's what you were. This is what you are. I mean, that's pretty great news. That's what you were. This is what you are. I don't know about you, but I want to live in a new tense. I'm sick and tired of the world that we see today. I want to light a candle instead of cursing the darkness. I want to make a difference. You have the light of the world in you. And we sit back and we let politicians and we let all kinds of people in Hollywood and all these people tell us what to do and how to live our lives. This is insane. And God's people sit and we sing our hymns and we do our thing. And then we have our lunch and we wait for next week to do this all over again. But in between, we do nothing to spread the light of Jesus, the truth of Jesus to a world that's dying, that needs a new tense. This is what you were, this is what you are, this is what you were, this is what you are. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I'm a new creature in Christ, are you? If you are, and start living like one. I'll pray today that we can do that. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for, for this wonderful gift that you've given to us. We can't even imagine it. It is so unbelievable that we can't, we, we can't in our finite minds grasp it. 
But we can accept it, but we can't grasp it because you're an infinite God with finite beings. So we do. Jesus comes up to us. He says, take my hand. I'm walking out of that electric chair. I'm walking up out of that building because Jesus has died for me in that chair. He set me free. All my sins are forgiven. I don't have to be walking around like a ball and chain, having them following me day in and day out. I'm free. I'm set free. And Father, all of us who put our faith and trust in Jesus are set free. So help us to live that way. Because we've been washed, we've been sanctified, we've been justified. And we can live according to Jesus Christ, not according to the world, not according to the flesh, not according to the devil. But according to who Jesus says we are. That's what you were. This is what you are. Help us to remember that. We pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.